All right. <clears throat> Last week, uh, we looked at uh, this man born uh, blind in John chapter number 9 who was healed by Jesus. And our emphasis last week, we really focused just on the first few verses of the passage, particularly this man's healing. And when they asked the question, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was uh, born blind, Jesus' answer to them was, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And he said, this man was born blind, and in particular in verse uh, number three, you see there, it says, This man was born blind, that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And our focus for the week was that sometimes bad things happen um, to show the glory of God. And we kind of uh, applied that a little bit to the things that are going on in our lives and going on in our church. And I want to just continue that passage this morning and just kind of close out <clears throat> the rest of the passage and uh, talk about those things as we're here this morning. Uh, you would think that this miracle would be occasion for rejoicing. And you would think that if a man born blind, blind from his birth, uh, there's some indications that this man, uh, when they talk to his parents in a few verses, about halfway through the chapter, they're talking to his parents. The parents specifically say something that give us a, maybe a little indication of his age. They say, he is of age, or they basically say he has come of age, you can talk to him. And, and the way that they phrase that, uh, that is a phrase they would use kind of for adolescents that had now been deemed kind of as a man. And so there's a possibility that this man born blind that we're talking about, that we may imagine him being old, there's a possibility he's 14 in their culture, 15, 16, somewhere between 15 and 20 years old. And so he may be a young man, just based on indication of how his parents talk about him. And so you have this maybe young man that is born blind, and he's begged his whole life, and he has made his way only by the mercy and giving of others. And all of a sudden he has turned and given sight, and his life has changed. And you would think that those around him would be excited. You'd think that there would be a rejoicing, maybe a party, maybe something to celebrate all of this. But what comes behind it is four conversations, five conversations if you include Jesus at the very end with the man, and we will today. Four conversations regarding this man, and none of them celebrate what God had done in this young man's life. None of them talk about the miracle that Jesus did. All of these conversations explain things or question things or doubt things or they'll have all sorts of different uh, judgments that are involved. There's so many questions in this passage. I count at least 16 different questions that are phrased after this man is healed. And doesn't it, isn't it usually like that uh, when God does a work one way or another? Maybe it's in somebody's life personally. Maybe it's through a good thing. Maybe it's through a tragedy. Maybe it's through something spiritually. It could be something physically. But often when God works in a clear way... There are many questions, and this passage has questions today. They're not the best questions, and we'll see that in just a moment. If you look at verse 8, if you would, we'll look at the first conversation, then I'll walk our way through this passage. So this man has been sent, and in verse 7 it says, He went his way, therefore washed, and came seeing, so he's healed. Verse 8, Then the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? And some said, 
This is he. Others said, he is like him. Uh, in other words, they said, it looks like him. We're not sure. But he said, I am he. And therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received, and I received sight. And then said they unto him, where is he? And he said, I know not. So the first conversation here is between the man, and you see in verse number eight, it says, and his neighbors. And their reaction was just curiosity. How did this happen? Are you really uh, this one that we knew to be blind? And of course he says, I am. And their reaction was curiosity. And then they say, well, where is this Jesus? So they're left curious. Look at verse 13, if you would. And they brought him to the Pharisees. And him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So now the Pharisees are asking question, how did you receive sight? And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. And remember last week we said, I, I believe Jesus did healed in this way on purpose, because one of the Pharisees' traditions, one of these traditions that they had added to the law in a way, you couldn't knead dough, and then also in that same grouping, you could not work with clay on the Sabbath. You couldn't make clay, you couldn't knead it, you couldn't form it. And so I think Jesus did this specifically to clue them in, I am not like you. I do not do things the way that you do. I am not bound by your traditions. I am here to save and to bring mercy. And so he makes clay. And so the Pharisees' reaction to this young man that has now been made to see is interesting. Look at verse number 16. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. So they are witnessing a miracle. They see Jesus work a miracle and their reaction is, no way can he be God because he made clay on the Sabbath day and that's against the law and that's not what we do. So he can't be of Jesus. And then notice it says others said. That indication there is not just other people. It's Actually, an indication that it means other Pharisees. So even some of the Pharisees were uh, at odds about this. Others said, probably other Pharisees, how can a man that is a sinner do such a miracle? So they're using a little bit of logic here. There was division among them. And then they said, they say unto the blind man, again, what sayest thou of him? What's your opinion of him? That he hath opened thine eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. I want you to notice that this man that is healed by Jesus is a good picture of often how sometimes our conversion works or has worked and often we forget sometimes the conversion of others. This man is healed and he works a miracle but notice that his faith and his statements about Jesus are not instantly complete. He says first of Jesus, I don't know who he is but I just know his name is Jesus. I'm not sure where he is. I don't know anything about him. I just know that he healed me. Then his conversation with the Pharisees, he says, they say, well, what is your opinion of him? He says, I believe that he's a prophet. Now, he's probably not saying he is the prophet, the coming Messiah. I believe he's a prophet. He's a good man. He's a teacher. He is something different. And so he's sort of brought along slowly in his belief and in his conversion. And you can see that. And sometimes, isn't it interesting that when we're dealing with people that are lost, when we're dealing with the world, we're dealing with people that have no real biblical literacy, if you want to say it that way, no biblical background, no Bible background. We kind of want to rush 
people sometimes. And if they don't just, boom, believe, then we maybe move on to the next person. Ah, that person's not going to believe. But many people are brought on in their belief of Christ slowly, step by step by step. And when we work and try to serve God in our part of the Great Commission, patience is something that is needed. And we see that here as this man says, I I don't know anything really about him. He's just Jesus. And he says he's a prophet. In a second, he's going to kind of give us a declaration of what Jesus did for him. And then he's going to go on and declare his faith gloriously in Christ when he has another conversation with Christ. But I wonder in our minds and in our hearts this morning, we'll kind of sidestep for just a moment. Who in your life that you know is maybe slowly coming to Jesus that you need to work with a little bit more? that you need to have patience with in how you handle your conversations with them, that you need to maybe a little bit more uh, committedly keep pointing them to Christ. Sometimes we may visit at somebody's door, we may meet somebody, try to give them the gospel, and they say, no, 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 I'm not interested in this, kind of like the door's closed and it's over. But we are not the ones that save people. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in people's hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit can use us as we follow that over and over and over. And sometimes just because the Holy Spirit doesn't work the way we want to, we kind of abandon that post. And we shouldn't. We should be patient with those that are around us, that are coming to belief in Christ. Who do you know this morning? Think of them in your mind. Write them down there on a sheet in your Bible, praying for them this morning as we look at this man's experience and pray that they experience the same thing. Maybe some of us in here this morning are like that. Maybe you can say, I'm coming along. I, I believe some of these things about Jesus, but I have trouble claiming it all. I have trouble understanding that all of this Bible or all of our faith or all that we see in Christianity. And notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees who knew it all but were blind compared to this man who didn't know it all but have been given clear vision by God and by His Spirit to start believing these things spiritually. These Pharisees were the ones that should have seen. They're the ones that should have known and believed. They were invested in this. They were the ultra-conservative people of their day in regards to religion and to the law and moral and social things. They were the ones that uh, took everything super seriously and every rule and every tradition. And in a way, I feel that they failed to believe in Christ because it threatened the religion that they had built. It threatened their livelihood and how they gained money. It threatened their privileged position among the Israelites. If it meant we got to point people to Christ as supreme and not ourselves... If these Israelites that are around us are actually going to have to look to Him, and we don't want a part of this. We want them to look to us. They wanted, in a way, they wanted Jesus even to point to them. Think about all the Pharisees' conversations that they had all through the Gospels. How many times did the Pharisees have conversations with Jesus that they tried to point to themselves? Or that they tried to point to their own law and to their own tradition? How many conversations do we have, like this one, sometimes as Pharisees, that point people not to Christ, but to ourselves, that point to a tradition, that point to how we live, that point to what my lifestyle looks like. 
It's not about those things. And if we're following Christ, that's a great thing because Christ does show us what we should do as Christians and how we should live our lives. But he teaches us to live through and in him by his strength, by his leading, by his guidance. But often our lives point to self. And this man is an example that the Pharisees did not like that. Then if you would look at uh, verse number 18, that's conversation number two. We're going to just walk through all these conversations and then look at how we can apply these. The Pharisees were looking for any reason not to believe. You ever notice that they had already decided in their hearts and in their minds that they couldn't believe. The parents, on the other hand, so you got the neighbors, they were curious. You got the Pharisees, they were critical and doubtful. Then you have the parents. Notice what it says in verse number <coughs> excuse me, 18. But the Jews did not believe. They just straight up did not believe. They were um, completely doubtful. It wasn't even a doubt. It was a, they were positive that this has nothing to do with God or with uh, the Messiah. Notice what, how the conversation they had, verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they didn't believe one or the other. He either was not blind, and if he was blind, then he is not the one that received his sight. He until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is your son, who ye say was born blind, how then doth he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. So they kind of asked this, these loaded questions. Is this your son? In a way, is what they ask. Uh, yes, <laughs> he is. Was he really born blind? Uh, yeah. We remember when that happened. <laughs> when we, can you imagine being the parent? I, I kind of, it's difficult for me. I, I, you hear about people that lose their sight the older that they get, or they lose their sight through a sickness, or that lose their sight through an accident, and they saw and then they didn't see. But one thing that has always baffled me, and I, uh, not to make light of the situation at all, it's always just baffled me. People that are born blind or born deaf, it is just baffled me that as I imagine my, my youngest son, Lex, is uh, 10 months old, and I just kind of trying to imagine guiding him through those moments of life without sight. Everything, I mean, if you have been around him when he sees food, okay, <laughs> he reacts. He gets red and he crumbs his fist and he does not stop as long as there's food in sight. When his mom walks in the room, he changes how he acts. When I walk in the room, he, he, he responds by sight. When his older brother and sister in the room, sometimes it gets different reaction when, when they walk in the room. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's impatient. But he lives by sight. And imagine being a parent, trying to walk your child through that stage of life where they never even know, like they've never even sensed what sight is. And so it's baffled me, even in a way, trying to explain. And it meant it's one of those things I can drift deep into thought about, trying to figure out how do you explain it? Well, we are humans. Well, what's this human? Or you can't see well, compared to animals. Or, or how do we communicate this way? And here is this thing that you can sense by what you feel or you smell or you touch. And so imagine parents that had worked with this young man at least for 13, 14, 15, 20 years, at least if he's older, even longer than that. They have guided him through this rough, barren land that they lived in. So they would know if he was blind. 
They're not going to spend their lives faking that this young man is blind all this time. So maybe they can pick up extra change. There's no way a child would buy into those things. But the Jews were so doubtful that they were willing to ask and question even the things that they could see, even the things that they did know, even, even truth. And sometimes we meet people, right, in the world, different things that are so doubtful that they will even question what we even may know to be true. And they question the obvious things in life because they don't want the answer. Sometimes we can do that as Christians, can't we? Have you ever read a portion of the Bible and tried to think of any reason you could to change what you felt the meaning of that passage was? Because it made me uncomfortable. I have done that myself. Well, that passage means this, but what about in this circumstance or in this situation? Or, you know, we're 2,000 years later and there weren't these other things. But sometimes have you ever found yourself not wanting to believe? And so you question what you may even know to be true. And maybe you look at a section of the Bible and you know that it's not true. And as you walk through it, like these Jews, you even question these obvious things. They say, well, yeah, we know he was blind and he is our son. But they were still confused. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 21. It says, but by what means he now seeth, parents speaking here, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. There's that phrase. It's kind of a phrase they would use about adolescence. He's of age. He's, he's going to be an adult. Then what should we do? He shall speak for himself. And then if you could see it, it's not there in your Bible. Verse 22 is, a, is sort of a parenthesis. Okay? When you're reading a, a passage or you're reading or not reading your literature stories in school, you know, and there's this parenthesis that may explain away a little bit in more detail as to what the meaning behind something is. And that's really what we have in verse 22. It's a parenthetical phrase. Look at verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already. Notice that word, already, at this point in Jesus' ministry. They hadn't even had a chance to really prove out who Jesus was. But already they had decided what? Verse 22. That if any man did confess that he was Christ, talking about if anyone say that Jesus is the Messiah, anybody in our culture, anybody in our town says Jesus is the Christ, what's going to happen? He should be put out of the synagogue. And that was a big deal uh, for them. That would be like putting out, losing almost in a way like losing citizenship rights. You can't vote. If you believe this, you can be, say you're American, but you can't vote. You don't get these privileges. You don't get to pay taxes, you know, whatever, these different things. You you don't get the rights of being a citizen. And in a way, if you were put out of the synagogue in Jewish culture, you were pretty much put out of social life. Uh, You were rejected in that way. You may even be put out of business life because they had atta- they attached spirituality to so many different things and so many different parts of life depending on what your business was people may not even purchase or take from you what your business was because it may have something to do with something spiritual oh he's been put out of the synagogue we can't buy his cattle or we can't buy his livestock we can't buy his uh, birds or chicken you know we can't buy these things from him because they're not blessed, because he's been kicked out of the synagogue. 
Or I'm not going to hire him to do this work for me because they're not blessed because they're kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents here are really weighing these deep options of how they're going to explain this. They're thrilled. Can you imagine being a parent and your child has been blind from birth and then they're healed and you kind of have to like reserve your excitement about that. It'd be like saying, oh, so-and-so has cancer. Your husband, your, your wife has cancer. And then you go to the doctor and they say, we don't know what happened, but you are miraculously healed. And then having to reserve how excited you were about that. But the these parents, I feel for these parents, because here they are talking to these Jewish people and they're thrilled that their son can see, but they're having to be cautious about how they respond. It's an amazing thing that the doubt of these Jews did to them. So they're having to be cautious about how they respond. And they say, we don't really know how he got excited. We're just excited that he had it. And so they're confused a little bit about what Jesus did or didn't do, but they're definitely nervous to tell what they did uh, or what they may think about it or how Jesus... And they, they say, we got to hold back because of what will happen if we really claim Jesus. And we see that in our society, in our culture, don't we? Depending on what your profession is, depending on where you work, depending on what your social group is, depending on what your lifestyle is, depending on who you're around, depending on who you're family is. We come across people that utterly reject the gospel, and then we are going to have to respond in some way. How do we choose to respond in that? Do we shrink in fear? Do we just reserve ourselves? And there's ways to handle those things. But when people fully reject, how do we respond? Are we afraid? Are we nervous? Maybe like these parents. Look at verse 23. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. And then again called they uh, the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Notice they don't ask him a question. So far it's all been questions. Now they call the man born blind and the parents say, Ask him, ask him, ask him. And they bring in, in my opinion, this may be another reason that he's an adolescent. They're not even asking him questions anymore, this young man. They're just telling him. They don't ask him a question. Notice what they say in verse 24. Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. So what are they saying? They're telling him literally, look, you have caused a ruckus by receiving your sight, you bad kid. This would be a whole lot more convenient if you were still blind, okay? We wouldn't have any of these problems if you had not received a miracle and been healed. So since you've caused all these problems, just say God gets glory and that man that healed me is a sinner. And, and we'll go home and we'll call it a day. They're like, let's just make a crisp cut. Let's just say, God healed me through this sinner, but it's still God's glory so that we can appease our minds and go home. And isn't it interesting, again, our society, our culture, they don't mind certain beliefs. We don't mind certain things. But when it comes to the absolute deity and sovereignty of Christ as God, it's kind of like, Let's break apart from that. Let's not say exactly that. And you as Christians can believe what you want, but don't say this, and then we can progress and move on. And that's in a way what they're telling this young man. Here is what you need to say. Give God the praise. They're even making it a spiritual thing, religious thing. But I love his answer in verse 25. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I do know, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, and now I see. 
And I love the picture of this young man. You see his faith continuing to, continuing to progress. He doesn't say, okay, I, you know, he may be a sinner, I don't know, but give God the glory. He says specifically, I don't know a whole lot about this man. I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. I just met him. But what I can tell you is that my life was miserable. I was blind. I was begging. I was relying on everyone else in life. I was in, a, in, in darkness, literally in utter darkness for my whole life. But now, I met him, and everything has changed. And no matter where we are in our Christian lives, our message to our community, our message to our world. If you're a parent, your message to your child. If you're a child, your message to your parents. If you're a teenager, your message to your friends. Your message at the lunch table. Your message at the water cooler. Your life at work. Your life at play. Your life in your neighborhood. Your life in your community should say this. I don't maybe know everything. And I don't have every answer to every problem. And I don't know everything there is to know about my God and God's Word. And I may not be able to answer every question, but this I know. I was in darkness, and I met Jesus, and my life has changed. My life is different. The world does, needs to see a lot of different things about God. They need to see a lot of things about Christ. But the first thing that they will see is a life that has changed. And a life that is different we may not have such an obvious thing like this man had where we were physically blind and bang, now we can see. And so everybody pays attention. But the life of a real disciple and follower of Christ is different. There is nothing in this world that produces what a following life of Christ produces. There's nothing. People can be kind in a way of their own heart. People can be patient. Some lost people can be, loving, can be loving. But the ultimate thing is you get all those, but you get hope. And you get true faith. And you get belief. You get Christ. There is something different about the life of a Christian that truly follows his Savior that is different from anything else that the world can offer. And people will see that. No matter what your story or your testimony is, your testimony may be, I was... In prison, I was part of this gang. I was part of this. It, that may be your story. I was an awful, wicked person doing these obvious, egregious sins. I was mean. I was nasty. I was ugly. And Jesus came and poof, my life was changed. And that's a great testimony. You could be like me. I was thinking about it uh, this week and just kind of reflecting on uh, dad and, and my life and my family and the things that I've been blessed with. And if I think about it this way, there has never been a day in my life without Jesus. I haven't been saved my whole life. but There's never been a moment in my life where I wasn't being taught to know Jesus. And that's a great thing, too. And that may be your testimony. And praise God if it is. You say, well, if I have that testimony, how can I be like this blind man where I once was blind and I see... Because I don't really remember a whole lot of moments early on before I was saved where I was, you know, you know, four years old in the biker club, you know, at the uh, <laughs> playground. You know, we walk around with our sippy cups with spoiled milk and, 
you know, just blessing people out and putting frogs on swings and different things. And, you know, maybe I don't have that part of that testimony, but here's the honest truth. If you see what you are without Christ, and if you see what you would be without Christ, we are utterly and totally sinful. The Bible says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. And when I realized that in spite of my best efforts and in spite of my family's best efforts and no matter what my dad has taught me, no matter what my mom has taught me, no matter how much major sin I've avoided in my life, I am wretched and awful and deserve nothing but hell. And left to myself, even in salvation, even when I choose and I'm not led by God's spirit and I choose to go away from those things without Christ and without his spirit, I am awful. And I am wicked. And I would naturally fall. I, would, I am a step away from the worst sin that you could imagine if Jesus takes his hand from me. And that's the lifestyle that the world needs to see. And that's a lifestyle that says, hey, look, I don't know everything. But without Christ, I am nothing. That's what the world needs to hear from our message. If you're a parent, that's what your children need to know. You, you know, parents, sometimes we try to set on that we do know everything. And, you know, I'm not going to tell your kids any different. But a true moment of gospel parenting in different moments of life would say, buddy, I don't have all the answers for you. I don't, I don't know how all this is going to work. And sometimes I make mistakes. And I'm going to wrong you sometimes. I'm going to sin against you. But Jesus won't. Amen. And I can point you to Christ. And I can point you to faith in God. And He will never fail you. So as we walk through, that's the next conversation. And I want you to notice, if you would, how kind of this all finishes. Look at verse 26. <coughs> He answered and said this, you know, I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, what did he do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? So they're trying to get back at him again. Fine, if you're not going to concede, we're going to argue with you. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? And I, I love this guy. He's, he's great. His response already is one of the best. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Now he gives another great one. You're going to question me again? I've already told you. Spit, mud, clay, eyes, wash, see. He says, I've said it over and over and over. He says, why are you asking me again? And then I love this question. Do you want to be one of his disciples? Will you also be? What are, you, are you going to follow Jesus too? Is that why you're asking me all these times? Now they're mad. Notice what it says in verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. And as for this fellow, know we, not, we know not from whence he is. Now, I want to point out something real quick about their judgment here. They say, we follow Moses because we know where Moses came from. We know Moses was chosen of God, so we believe in him. But this man, we don't know where he's from, so we can't believe in him. If you would, flip back real quick to, to John chapter 7. I want to show you something interesting. <clears throat> Some of these same Jews and Pharisees. 
are arguing about where Christ came from. Look at verse 27. There's something interesting. How be it, we know this man whence he is. We know where this man's from. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Okay, so two chapters later, they say, we don't know where he's from. He can't be the Messiah. But two chapters before, they say, we don't know where he's from, or we know where this man is from. And then when the Messiah comes, we're not going to know where he comes from. So which one is it? They pretty much have decided we will not believe. Because in chapter 7, they say, look, the Bible tells us we're not going to know where the Messiah comes from, and we know that Jesus is from Nazareth, so he can't be the Messiah. Then in chapter 9, they say, well, we're not really sure where this man's from, and so we can't believe him. He's not the Messiah. They had just ultimately decided, no matter what, we have set our mind. We do not believe. Notice, if you would, again in verse number um, 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. He says, Why do you care where he's from? I am healed. He almost sent some frustration. Now notice verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? So he says, something is different about Jesus. And he's, you can kind of see him, he's almost gaining faith as they're asking him questions. Have you ever felt that way? You're almost a little bit doubtful of something in your faith, and the more you're questioned about it, maybe the bolder you get. The last few weeks, last couple weeks, there's been moments where there has been questions in my mind. But the more I think about it, the more I dwell on it, the more I question certain things, it keeps coming back to the fact that Jesus is still in control. If you look at verse 33, if this man were not of God, so now he's gone from, I know his name is Jesus, I know he's a prophet, I don't know if he's a sinner, but he healed me. And now he says, he's got to be of God. Why? Because if he wasn't, he could do nothing. Notice how they respond to him in verse 34. And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and you teach us, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So he really brings it to the point where he says, I believe, I know that Jesus is from God. And their response to him was, you were born. Now, that is not just saying you were born a sinner from Adam and Eve's fall. They are going where, in your mind, you think they are going. They're basically saying something nasty and disgusting to him. You were born in sin. Your parents are sinful, and there was a sin committed, and that's why you were born blind. And you, don't, you can't teach us, you filthy teenager. You filthy Young man, you can't teach us, and they cast him out. Sometimes when we really believe and we really live our lives for Christ, if someone's not going to believe, ultimately, we may be treated like this. But notice in perfect timing what comes. Have you ever had a moment in your life where everything seems to just cast you out? It could be a circumstance where you're saying, you're trying to say, I believe, I have faith, and then just something seems to blow down the door. It could be something that somebody says. It could be something a family member says, a co-worker says. It could be a shaking circumstance. It could be a diagnosis at the doctor. It could be the loss of a loved one. But you're finally starting to grow in faith, and then something grabs it and shakes it. 
And this young man, this man is growing in his faith, and now these people, they grab him literally and spiritually and shake him and do that thing that his parents didn't want. They cast him out. You are abandoned. You are outcast. And in that moment, who arrives? Verse 35, And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So he's just asking straight up. And I think it's interesting. Jesus masked sometimes who he was to people physically. But I think it's interesting that this young blind man that's healed by sight, that stands up for Christ, that grows in faith even in these few moments, Jesus makes maybe the clearest claim to be the Messiah of anyone he talked to in all of the Gospels. Notice what he says in verse, 30, uh, verse 37, And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and then he just tells him, And it is he that talketh with thee. I am he. How many times did Jesus kind of go around these different things and mask around these different things for one reason or another, his motivation, but to this young man who needed this in his moment, in his life, who had been miraculously healed and changed, but then very much doubted and in a way persecuted and maligned and cast out. And in the moment that he needed Christ, Christ swoops in and says, I am he, unlike he told almost anyone else in his life on earth. And there are moments in our lives where though God has worked in us and though God maybe has done something miraculous and though God has caused some big event in our lives and we know that it's true and we are striving to believe and we are trying to have faith and we're trying to answer questions with God's Word and we're trying as hard as we can in our heart and life, but the truth is of our own efforts, we can't believe. It's only through God's Spirit and His leading and through His Word and through prayer that He strengthens us to do these things. But in your moment, in your life, Jesus comes and says, I am still He. And we have had a moment these last few weeks, at least I have personally, where there have been things that attack. Maybe you've had that circumstance at work this week. Maybe you've had that circumstance in your family. Maybe you have a child that you're struggling to deal with. Maybe you have a teenager like this, that uh, this age that you're trying to push through and teach. Maybe you have a burden of your heart. Maybe there's a sickness that has come. Maybe there's a diagnosis nobody yet knows about. There's a bill that you can't pay. There is a circumstance in your life. Maybe there's a doubt. I'll be totally transparent. There have been moments in the last couple of weeks where just for these like flash glimpses, I'm kind of like, is this all real? Have you ever felt like that for that moment? Like I, like I have trouble sometimes visualizing exactly how this all works. And, and there's these moments where I sit and in those moments, Christ by his spirit and on days that I will let him through his word, he swoops in and he has heard. Notice it says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Jesus never went away. I'm curious to know how far away Jesus was when this happened. But I can tell you he's not far away from you today if you're a Christian. He lives in us. He moves in us through his spirit. And he has heard when we're cast out. Doesn't, doesn't pass by him unnoticed. He's not shocked by anything that's going on in our lives, by any trial. 
Jesus heard that he was cast out and he came and said, I am the Son of God. Notice in verse 38 his response. And it should be ours this morning. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus says, For judgment I come unto this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which, might, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees, which were with him, heard these words. So they're kind of hanging around, eavesdropping. And said unto him, Are we blind also? Like you can just kind of hear them. Oh yeah, we keep. We're the ones. We keep all of the laws. We we like make extra laws to to get to obey. Have you ever felt like that? Like parents, I felt like that sometimes when I was a kid. Like parents made extra rules <laughs> that were easy for them to obey, but the teacher makes a rule and a clock. I shouldn't go there, but. <laughs> you ever had that circumstance? They're like we we make the rules. And you're going to say that we are blind? We give and like give and give. We are benevolent and we, we make sure everyone knows we give. We stand when we pray. We scream or yell our prayers. We know the law. We are not like these other sinful publicans and sinners and creatures. And you're going to say, we are blind? And Jesus answered to them, says, if you were blind... You should have no sin, meaning if you would admit that you are blind, I could forgive you of your sin. I could save you because it'd be true faith when you come to the understanding of who you really are. And he says, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Jesus says, your ultimate sin is you think you can do it all on your own. That's his message to the Pharisees. He says, you are living this good life, this moral life, this righteous life, but you're doing it all on your own. He says, because of that, you are blind. Blinder than this young man has ever been. And he said, and if you would ever come to the place that you realize how blind you really are, I could help you see spiritually. But because you won't, you're blind. You're going to stay that way. And I wonder this morning if there's moments where we live our lives righteous holy sometimes, in church, serving, doing good things, being where we're supposed to be, saying what we're supposed to say, but doing it all without Christ. And doing it all, like these Pharisees, blindly. You can fake certain things and you can get along in certain times, and you can make your way through some things in life or religiously, but you can't work those things out spiritually without Christ. And that's what he's telling these Pharisees. And I wonder this morning, the Pharisees would be proud if, if Jesus would have saved them. They could have, if they would have claimed that Jesus saved them and added that to their faith, they probably would have if they thought they could add it to their own works and righteousness and their faith, and they could say, yeah, we believe in Jesus and, look, and all these other things. So now we're like super awesome and good. But the reality is they still would have been saying, but, but it's because of me, because it's what I'm doing. And their profession would actually mean nothing. I think A.W. Tozer one time said, the profession of faith that means nothing to the person is the profession of faith that means nothing to God either. 
What that means is the one that confesses Christ and says they're Christian, but it doesn't impact their life. It didn't impact their God either. And with this story, the crux of the story, the main part of the story is you have this blind young man who struggles and doesn't know everything, but comes to the place where he realizes physically and spiritually both, he is blind and needs Christ. And because he leans and because he has faith, Jesus works in him. And then you have these Pharisees who know it all and do it all, but do it without Christ, and Jesus cuts them off. Because they could not say like this young man, I once was blind, but now I see. They would have said, oh, we've always seen this. (laughs) We knew you were coming. (laughs) We knew from the moment you were born, you were the Messiah. You, Jesus, you. That's the way they would have acted. But what Jesus wanted was the heart of this young man. He says, I don't get it all. And I'm not perfect. But my life has changed. I ask you as we close this morning, has your life changed? I'm not asking you, do you do good? Do you come to church? Do you say the right things? I'm asking, has Jesus changed your life? Because we can fake along certain ways and certain things, but not really rely on Jesus. Are you constantly being transformed and changed and moved away from that old sinful nature? Or do we still result to that, though maybe doing good things, but we do it in pride? Is your spirit this morning one like this young man that says, I was blind, but Jesus has changed me? Or is your spirit this morning more on the Pharisees? Jesus is great, but so am I.